know, the commissioning of Ezekiel here in this text, it has something to say about the God we serve. It has something, he has something to say about his own word. He has something to say about the one who brings it, and he has something to say about the people to whom it's brought. Again, an appropriate text for a particularization service where this church is becoming a particular church with its own elders, its own, uh, its own deacons, its own ministers, where you will, are now being sent into the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this evening, I want us to look at four brief things as we walk through this text. The God who speaks, the prophet who sent, the nation to whom he sent, and then the message with which he is sent. Now, some of you maybe had never read the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 1 is one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. There is this incredible vision of the glory of God and the power, the might, the, the sovereignty, the omnipresence, the omniscience, the beauty, the righteousness, the holiness of God, His judgment and even His grace and His mercy are all put on display there in this one overwhelming vision of the glory of God. And he is, after all, it's an overwhelming vision because he's an, he's an overwhelming God. And then in verse 1 of chapter 2, here in our text, where we begin this evening, our text begins, and he. Who is the he? The he is this overwhelming God. And it says, and he said to me, the God of all creation speaks. He has spoken what a wonder. What a wonder. And when we reject his word, we reject him. In our culture today, even, even in the church, sadly, we too often don't rejoice that God has spoken, but we, we scoff at the idea that God has any enduring word for the world today. In that same article that I mentioned just a few moments ago, the well-worn argument from the Enlightenment was used and it said this, we have learned some things that the ancients, including Moses and Paul, simply did not know. Not even Jesus, who was fully human and therefore limited to what first century humans knew, could know about cancer, schizophrenia, atomic energy, and a million other things that the centuries have taught us. And it's not, it's not, don't get me wrong, it's not that we don't and can't learn from the centuries before us. And that we don't gain more knowledge, in fact we do, but we're talking here about ultimate truth. We're talking here about, about the God of the universe, the ultimate things of life. And the question, the question that we're faced with is, indeed, where is our trust? Is it in our experience as, it, as our experience is under the curse of the fall? I should hope not. Is it in our own reason, perverted by sin? I should hope not. We're going to trust those things when we have the Word of the Creator God and the word that He's spoken and He's given to us. And, and notice how God addresses Ezekiel. It's almost as if He does, well, He does do it on purpose, but He does it to put Himself on display here. He says, And He said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. Well, many of us have heard that designation before, Son of man. In fact, it's a favorite designation of the Lord Himself as the Son of Man, the Son of Man that, that Israel awaited, the Son of Man who would come and do that which Adam did not do. But here, here, He's not designated as the Son of Man. 
He's just designated as a son of man. A reminder to Ezekiel what he is before the one who speaks to him. There's a contrast here between the sovereign Lord and the one to whom he speaks. It it is as if God is saying to Ezekiel, he's saying, human, stand on your feet. This is the God who created him. Human, stand on your feet. Eight times, eight times, just in this text, he uses son of man. And around 99 times in Ezekiel, it's one of Ezekiel's favorite ways to address, uh, to address people and to point to the Son of Man compared to just 14 times in the rest of the Old Testament. God will communicate His Word and His will through this human here, through this jar of clay, as it were. But even though He is a human and just a human, it is the Word of God. And so the question becomes, will the people hear? And will the people believe? Will the people receive it? The same question should be asked of us, right? Do we believe that God has spoken in His Word and do we hear, do we believe, and do we receive? He has spoken. And here, He sends Ezekiel. He sends Ezekiel. And Ezekiel is one who sent, again, he's a human like you and me. And where do we find him? Here at the very beginning of this text, we find him having fallen on his face. Why why do we find him there? Well, because of the beauty and the wonder of the vision that he saw in chapter 1. He's on his face, and this is where we find him here. Fallen before the glory of God. And God comes to him in that state. And God commands him to stand on his feet so that he may speak to him. And again, notice the image here. It's not accidental. Uh, You've maybe seen enough. Maybe you've read enough. To recognize the scene, it's, this is the scene of a vassal who is kneeling before the king. And the vassal does not rise and should not rise until what? Until the king comes and he says, rise. And that's the scene that's set before us here. The king is given permission. But not only does he give permission, but he gives him the ability. So what we're seeing here is when God says, stand on your feet, notice the wonderful truth that we see throughout, of, throughout Scripture is that God actually grants what he commands of him. And as he spoke to me, it says, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. Who set him on his feet? The Spirit. The Spirit of God set him on his feet. And not only did he set him on his feet, but the Spirit enabled him to hear the very Word of God. That's the power and the necessity of the Spirit of God. Apart from the Spirit, Ezekiel would be helpless. God calls Ezekiel to to this difficult task. And you may be wondering, this is a celebration. Why are you talking about rebellious people? The reason why I use in this text is because, brothers, sisters, we've got a message that's important. And many times it's going to fall on deaf ears. And it's going to fall on hard hearts. And our call is to be faithful. To carry that message and to be that witness before our watching world. Ezekiel's got a difficult task. And so God stands him on his feet, enables him to hear, and he empowers him to do that which he calls him to do. And and notice, it is also very one-sided, as it so often is with God, isn't it? And aren't we thankful? God speaks, Ezekiel listens. God commands, Ezekiel obeys. But it's not, none of this is apart from the Spirit of God. Because of the nature of the task, God prepares and must prepare Ezekiel for it. 
Notice verse 8 of chapter 3. Behold, I've made your face as hard as their faces and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery harder than flint, I've made your forehead. Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks. The people to whom you are going are stubborn. And, and we'll get to those people in just a moment. But because they're stubborn, what is God saying to Ezekiel? He's saying, I'm going to make you stubborn. That's why I prayed a moment ago that God would make you stubborn in that same way. I'll give you resolve, he says. I'll, uh, and for as stubborn as they are, as stubborn as they are, or they will be against the word, just as stubborn you will be in your call. That's what he's saying here. And we understand why this is, right? I mean, can you imagine this type of ministry? If you're involved in ministry out in the world, then you get it. Go and speak. But guess what? They're not going to listen. And, and for Ezekiel particularly, particularly for him, but keep speaking. Don't give in. Don't give up. And we might ask the question, is it worth it? Why go then? I mean, we, we too often measure success in ministry um, by numbers or by the world's definition of success. But brothers and sisters, as a church, the call is not to success in those ways. It is, call, it is a call to faithfulness. When we want to talk about success, that's what we need to be looking at. Are we being faithful to that which God's called us to do? The church, and we, we need to be reminded of this over and over again. Our pride, our, self, our own self-worth, our identities. Pray for your pastor about this, guys. Because we struggle with this. I'll be real honest. We don't want to admit it. But since I'm not your pastor, I'll admit it. He struggles with it. We struggle with this over and over again. Our, our identities become too wrapped up in the success in the eyes of the world thinking that I've got to do this because if I don't do this, it says something about me. But this ministry is not about Chris. It's not about you. This ministry is about the Lord Jesus. It's about the Lord Jesus. So we ought to be asking the question, what about in the eyes of the Lord? What does the Lord think about Christ Church Bentonville? That's the question. What about being faithful to that which we've been called to do? Maybe you Maybe you're called to do big things. Maybe you're called to do little things. Either way, are we faithful to that call? And I've said it before, where we might think to ourselves, it just, it just won't do any good. I mean, maybe Ezekiel even thought that. I mean, really, it's not going to do any good, so why do it? Why do it? But, but this is God's grace. It's God's mercy, and, and it even is God's judgment. And so what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is simply this. The Word of God never returns void. Isaiah tells us that. It brings blessing or it brings judgment. It always works for that which is, it is sent. And we're, we're just called to go. We're called to share. We're called to preach. We're called to teach. We're called to put Jesus on display. And notice this at the very end of our text. The Spirit lifted me up and took me away, it says. And I came to the exiles at Tel Aviv who were dwelling by the Kabar Canal. And I sat where they were dwelling. And I sat there overwhelmed among them seven days. There's that word again, right? Overwhelmed. Over the prophet who's been sent, he's just a human and you're just people, aren't you? 
There are times when you're overwhelmed and you feel overwhelmed. Overwhelmed with God, yes, I pray so. But let's be honest, sometimes overwhelmed with people, overwhelmed with a call, overwhelmed with all the things that go on to be part of the life of a church. But you're empowered by the Spirit of God. And, and he's, notice Ezekiel. Ezekiel is in their midst, this son of man. This son of man was sent among the exiles and he sat where they were dwelling. Isn't that interesting? His ministry didn't play, uh, take place speaking from afar. Didn't take place speaking from the safety of, of some tower. But in the midst of the people enduring the very same things that they endured. And that's your ministry too, isn't it? It's a, it's a pastor's ministry with his people. It's the church's ministry to the world. Right? To be in the midst of them. But at the same time, that son of man, being in the midst of the exiles, ought to also draw our minds to the son of man, right? Who had made his dwelling among the exiles. Who, who took on flesh. And he dwelt among us, as the author of Hebrews says. He says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Ezekiel, as a, as a son of man, took the word of God to the exiles, but Jesus, as the Son of Man, was the word of God among the exiles, among us. He's among us. And he, he came to his own and he was rejected. Should we expect much different? And so the nation to whom he's sent, I mean, they, they rejected the word from Ezekiel as well. And they, they do so because they rejected God himself. Ezekiel, Ezekiel is sent to Israel. And remember, historically, in the Old Covenant, they were those who were the people of God. And they, they claimed to be the descendants of Jacob. They were of Israel, the covenant people of God. And, and yet, and yet, they reject him. And also notice how they're addressed in verse 3. Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel. And listen to how the Lord says this. To nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. There's a reversal here that would have been dramatic to Israel. It would have been dramatic to them. The nation of Israel has become no different than the people around them. He says, for you're not sent to a people of foreign speech, but to the house of Israel. Israel has become goyim. Or the nations. They've become no different than anybody else. They've become pagan in the eyes of the Lord. They've turned their back on God. They've rebelled against Him. They've chased after other gods. And ultimately speaking, they've, they've rejected God's sovereignty over them. And that's fundamental to, fundamental to sinfulness, isn't it? A rejecting of God. A rejecting God as God. And, and this, is, this is so important because this is as much of a message to the church today as it was to Israel of old. Uh, apart from faith in the Lord, Israel was just another nation. Just another nation. In fact, just another heathen nation. You can never claim the promises of God outside of God. We can claim that we belong to God all we want. But if we've rejected the God we claim to belong to, then He's not ours and we aren't His. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians, doesn't he, that the promises of God are yes and amen. Where? In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. You can claim to belong to the Lord. You can claim to be part of the church or even claim to be the church. But if you deny the Lord Jesus, there is no claim. There is no claim. You'd be no different than any civic organization that's ever existed. And brothers and sisters, this is not a civic organization that is being particularized today. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's got a mission and it's got a message. And it's contrary to the world. You're the church. Israel had become no different than the nations around them. In fact, in some ways, they'd become worse than the other nations because they knew the truth. They knew the truth. They weren't ignorant. And, and for them, that, that barrier that existed with other nations, that of foreign speech or, or of a different culture, that's not the barrier here. In fact, the Lord, the Lord said, if I sent you to them, they'd listen. But the barriers here are hard hearts and foreheads, stubbornness and rebellion. They knew, the, they knew all the religious language. They talked the talk. They knew Jewish customs and culture. They knew the Lord's grace and, and His mercy, but they rejected it over and over again. They will not listen. They are stubborn. They have hard hearts and foreheads. In some ways, again, there's a real, and, and there's a real similarity to ministry in our particular culture here. Even in Northwest Arkansas, what we, what we might call a Christian culture. Many know the language. They talk to talk. They know the customs. They even know about the Lord Jesus for the most part. But let's not pretend that that's everybody that's here. Chris could tell you the same thing. I'm continually surprised by conversations that I have with people in the world. Just two weeks ago, I had a conversation with somebody. And I said, do you, do you know who Jesus is? He said, I think I've heard of him. Really? You think you've heard of Jesus? And that's all you know about him? That's all they knew about him. And I, find my, I found myself at that point stuck. I was really disappointed in myself. How do I minister to this person? Yeah, at least usually I know somebody has a starting place, right? But here from the very beginning, he knew, he knew nothing. He knew nothing of God. He knew nothing of Jesus. And that's what the world needs, isn't it? He's what the world needs. He needs the Lord Jesus. But in a lot of ways... Ministry here is a lot like that, where they, they even know about him, but they just don't care about him. They've rejected him. They've tried Jesus. They don't like him. He doesn't meet their needs or their desires. They move on to something else. So is this not a message for us today as well? And in a broad sense, the message is the word of the Lord. Ezekiel's message was the word of the Lord, not his own it, 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 not, the, not of the trending sociological fad of the day, but the Word of God. And the, in fact, the picture that we're given here, and, and whether or not it was for Ezekiel a vision or, or whether he actually ate this scroll, I, I don't know. I, I tend to think that it was a vision uh, because the introductory words, and when I looked, behold, um, those are often used for introductions to visions, so I kind of think that it was, but I don't know, maybe he did literally eat it. I have no idea. But we miss the point if we get hung up there. Because what we're to see here is, is in fact, a disturbing scene. And, and the scene of him eating a scroll is to be disturbing for us. 
What Ezekiel is to give is what Ezekiel has been given, and that alone. Even having eaten it. Nothing else but what's been given. But what's been given is the Word of God. A church here is not only particularizing, but a minister is also being installed. And Chris, your people, and I know you know this, but we need to be reminded of it, don't we? Your people here need Jesus. Point them to Him. I love you, brother, but you're not that good. Point them to Jesus. You eat first, and then you feed them. And then you feed them. And here, even, even with the words of lamentation and mourning and woe, for Ezekiel, it was sweet, and, sweet as honey. Notice that. These are hard words to give, and yet for Ezekiel, they were sweet as honey. It's a bitter word for those who, who heard. It's a bitter word for those who rebel. It's a bitter word for those who reject. But to those who receive it, to those, to those who give it, and to those to whom it's given and received, it's sweet as honey. For those that understand the wonder of the word, the wonder that... Yes, the sovereign Lord has all authority to demand what He demands. To do as He pleases. And, and that sovereign Lord that we've transgressed, that we've broken His laws, broken His commands, become exiles, separated from Him, and His judgment is just and altogether righteous in all of its ways. For those that, for those that refuse to acknowledge Him, but for those who believe, it's sweet. But for those who rebel again and refuse to acknowledge God, it's bitter. But for us, He's brought us near by His grace, by His work. For those that understand that the message, again, is it's sweet. But those who deny His sovereignty, it's bitter indeed. It's a hard word to hear. But notice for the messenger, notice for Ezekiel, what a reminder here. The scroll he's given, it's written on the front and the back. It was complete. Uh, that's the picture that we're given. It was complete. It's all he needed. Nothing to be added to it. Nothing to be taken away. Ezekiel's message again wasn't to be Ezekiel's message, but it was God's message given to Ezekiel to give. It's to be eaten. It's to be taken in. It's to be fed upon by Ezekiel and then given to the people of God because that's what the people need. This, this church is to be a church that feeds with the Word of God. Because that's what we need. It's what you need. And you know that. You know that. The messenger doesn't have the freedom to change that which the sovereign Lord has given. Because it's what we need. It's sufficient for us. He's given us His Word. He's given us all we need for faith and life. The church has a message. Christ Church Bentonville has a message. It's not your message, but it's the Lord's message. It's, it's the Son of Man. The Son of Man. See, the written Word reveals to us the Word made flesh because He's what we need. He's what we need. The Son of Man, yes, fully human, fully human, come in the flesh for us, fully God. The one who, the one who is a friend for sinners, who is a friend for sinners. The one who had dinner with tax collectors, who talked with prostitutes, who blessed little children, who healed the unimportant and was unimpressed with the important. 
the Son of Man who walked among us and died for us. And yet, the Son of Man who rose again from the dead and He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. The Son of Man who reigns among the seven churches. And isn't that a beautiful picture? The Christ among the church. In His humiliation, He lived among us. And in His exaltation, He reigns among us. He is the Son of Man to whom Ezekiel, this Son of Man, points. And He is the Son of Man to whom this church will always point. Let's pray together, shall we? Our God in heaven, we do thank You for the Lord Jesus Christ who is King and Head of His church. And we would pray that not only in this church, but in our hearts, that He would reign supreme. For He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And may He be exalted, not only with that which we have already done here this day, but what we are about to do as well. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, King and Head of His Church. Amen.